0: And welcome to Reliving mind. My... my name is Noel Hogeman. My guest this week is Deborah IL. Now, Deborah was the lead singer of Romeo Boyd. The band released three albums in the 80s, and they just released a live album from 1980, live from Babuhe Garden, November 14, 1980. It was recorded nine months before their first album, It's a Condition, came out, and their saxophonist, the late, great Benjamin Bossy, just joined the band. We all know Romeo Void from Never Say Never, A Girl in Trouble. None of the songs are on this recording. Deborah talks about how this album was found. And it's just a very raw sounding album that's fantastic. We catch up with Deborah about what she's doing these days. She has a new band she talks about. She talks about the fallout of Romeo Void. Some of the amazing songs and we talk about bands reunited, of course. Really enjoyed my conversation with Deborah, and I hope you do as well. So, Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I appreciate being here, Ignol, and I'm happy to be help you relive your past.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so before we kind of relive the past, let's talk about um what you're doing right now. Um, talk about the Raton 3.
1: Yeah. So um, when I retired from teaching high school art last spring, my husband and I were planning to move to Raton, New Mexico, which we did. Right. But um, we'd already it had been in the works for a while. So he'd been coming out here to work on the house and and we'd come here for Christmas vacation. And um, so then we moved here the carpenter that we work with all the time is his longtime friend, family friend. And, and someone he even went to school with, who just lives a couple hours away and up in Colorado, where my husband right. grew up actually. So anyway, he plays guitar. So um, the carpenter would come for a few weeks at a time, or sometimes just a week at a time. And, um, we would play every night with his acoustic guitar and I was like, well, what songs do you know? And he didn't know hardly any songs. I said, uh-huh. Oh, I know a million songs. Let's start learning songs. So at night we can hang out and play music. And right. he was like, okay. It didn't take more than like one night where uh-huh. I was like, okay, we're going to be a cover band. Right. You know? And I said, and my goal is we're going to learn a hundred songs because I was having so much fun. And, um, So we just kept that up this, you know, entire year, and my husband's an audio engineer. Okay. And so, you know, uh, we started recording some of them probably starting last fall, and now we've recorded over twenty songs. Okay. Uh, They aren't all finished, you know. They're all still kind of considered rough, you know, or progress. But you know, that's quite a few, and uh, we're having our first public gig at the end of the month at okay. uh, a local park outdoors for free right um, over Memorial Day weekend so oh,
0: that's great so like when you promote and it's a little
1: three-piece so it's just right. my husband on drums
0: yeah
1: and um, uh, Aaron on guitar and I sing
0: okay so when you like like make you know from prom- promotions for that show do you say that you know featuring Deborah Al from romeo Void. Or- i haven't yet because
1: okay. who cares i right. live in a town of like less than seven thousand people okay so i've mentioned it to people and um on the local radio station of course um the guy who went and talked to the radio station already because we're doing it at a local park where i go swimming almost every day right so the guy from the aquatic center who's helping me sponsor it basically yeah. we're doing it out on the back patio okay of the aquatic center um he told them they were like wow really okay we know who yeah. she is you know right. and all that but i mean i'm sure i will because you know especially when i play santa fe or albuquerque or denver which i hope to do this summer okay then i'll i'll need to get those fans out yeah but i think in my local town it's going to be the people i swim with and the lifeguards right. and people yeah. who have Want to do something free over Memorial Day weekend at the park.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are you kind of like required to kind of sneak in a Romeo Void like song? Well, we're going to do a few. Yeah.
1: So um, we've already, you know, sort of learned and played Girl in Trouble. And uh, I mean it. But we're also going to learn Not Safe and Charred Remains. Okay. So, and then, you know, who knows? Yeah. It, it, I find it's very difficult to ch- try to pull off, like, Never Say Never with no sex. Yeah, I know. I know. Without a full band, without the bass line. Yeah. Right. You know, how in the world. Hard, yeah. So, uh, so I'm not really necessarily going to try that. But, you know, we can we can figure something out for the other songs.
0: Right, yeah. No, I, I mean, it's my favorite song by Romeo Void.
1: Oh, fantastic.
2: Yeah. Too, really.
0: Okay. Oh, good. So I'm, I'm glad you're playing that. I love that. you said you were an art teacher for, you know for, for quite some time uh-huh. now, yeah so so I'd imagine the students wouldn't know your background but I'm sure parents grandparents would kind of recognize the name or even yeah like grandparents almost
1: for sure right. some parents yeah and then only a few of the kids okay because there's you know that rock and roll is kind of an dead in the high schools, pretty yeah, much. right? You know, that's really not they listen to pop or rap or uh, various hip-hop yeah. country, you know, all kinds of stuff, but not necessarily any rock bands. And But there's a little niche, you know, of, of kids that like, yeah. you know that wear Misfits t-shirts or Ramones t-shirts, yeah. and they would, would know, you know, okay. or they would at least be able to you know, sort of grasp, you know, that that there were bands.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) At one
1: time they performed live. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it's fun to share that with them. And then I I had some teachers um, that taught at the school who were, you know, excited about it. And so they would play videos during their lunch hour when the kids are eating in their room. Right. And say, this is one of the teachers at our school, you know. So I'd have kids come up to me randomly, you know, he was playing your song the other day and we were all like, that's her, that's her. We still recognize you. And I'm like, well, I have changed, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's been over 30 years. Right. But uh yeah, I am the same.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause I, I've had a couple of guests who have, you know, kind of you know sexual successful in a band and kind of went to have an everyday job and then when they were discovered that they had a rock and roll past it was like oh can you perform at the christmas party can you perform this and that so it was just like you know i was like well i did a once one song and then i'm like that's it no more you know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um i i only sang you know sort of when i volunteered right you know because they had a Celebrating Black History, we had a night of you know um, making displays in our rooms, and I was an art teacher, so I did a whole display on African American artists, and I had my students learn about that. And then um, we had a little event in the caf or in the auditorium, and I sang an old Bessie Smith song, Mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, I never really tried to you know recreate the Romeo (laughs) Wood experience for my high school students yeah and they yeah. would even ask me to play my music during class and I was like guys I've heard it so much can't we just hear other stuff and every once in yeah. a while I play one just you know by Show popular up. request but
0: yeah right yeah. <laughs> do, do they like it when, the, when you play it
1: yeah yeah and they're sort of fascinated you know because it's yeah. like wow you know right How's that you <laughs>
0: yeah well, I mean, if anything, it turns them on to some music that they may not have, you know, known about. So,
1: absolutely,
0: yeah, which absolutely. Is really good. Yeah. So you mentioned like the T-shirts and mis- Misfits and stuff like that. My daughter has a couple. I don't know why. a Couple Nirvana sweatshirts and T-shirts, and like I don't think she really grasps the concept of Nirvana nor heard any of their music. So anytime I want to play some of their songs, she's like, "No, I don't want to hear. It. I just like the shirt." I'm like, "All right, sure." I Keep trying though every time I hear a song on the radio. Here, this is Nirvana, listen to this. I'm like, no,
1: I know I've seen kids walk by and yeah. in a Nirvana shirt and I'll go, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, yeah. I don't have a care. And they look at me like, What are you doing? Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Well, that's Nirvana, you guys, yeah,
0: you yeah. <laughs> know, because all the stores and you know, all the stores now have Nirvana shirts, they'll have like. Uh, pink floyd or rolling stones they have a big message but i don't think any of the kids know the music so it's yeah just, not too much know. they just want to sell shirts you know that's fun yeah yeah but, yeah it's an aesthetic. Enough. yeah exactly exactly yeah so the live album uh live from movie gardens november 14th 1980 it's it's fascinating it came out what about i think nine months before the first album came out and um yeah it's i, I love it it's really raw And you have a bunch of songs that made the first album on there. So how did this recording come about? When did you first find out that there wasn't a recording of this show?
1: Well, I think um, I found out like in the early 90s, the sound engineer for the club was recording every night. And so he has tons of stuff. And Liberation Hall is putting out quite a bit of it. He's put out The Mutants and he's put out a... um, they put out a record of like singles from, you know, that were recorded by Terry hammer at the okay. Mabuhay. So I think there's probably going to be more things, you know, that were recorded that'll mm-hmm. come out. And when he sent me copies, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. cool. You know, right. good luck. Yeah. He said, well, do you mind if I try to get it released? I'm like, no, go for it. Yeah. You know, good luck.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Uh, you know, and, uh, obviously it took him a while to find somebody to put it out yeah that was the early 90s but um then again in the early 2000s he contacted me again you know and is this still gonna work and i've digitized everything now and all that kind of thing because before he sent me a cassette you know okay right so he wanted to update my file so i have digital (laughs) copies now and uh So, I listened to it a few times before it was really going to be released. And then when the deal actually happened, I was kind of surprised, like, wow, this is really going to come out. And so I said, well, when you get the masters ready, send them to me because I want to really listen. Yeah. You know, see if there's anything I can go, you know, I should just go, no, don't release that. And I didn't. I was just like, you know, I can hear the mistakes I'm making, but Mm -hmm. I won't tell if you (laughs) won't, you know. And, um, I just really enjoyed it. And and I actually have a lot of admiration for the band, for how practiced they are and also how gracious they were to allow me so much freedom within what they were doing. You know, um, I'm really uneducated on the norms of music making, can't play an instrument. You know, I can hear melodies and learn them. And obviously I did learn how to write melodies and lyrics but I mean it was all new to me when we started. Okay. I had come from kind of a poetry background as far as my writing. And um you know they just kind of let me have it at it and it it really worked and and thank goodness they had such open minds and were just willing to let me
0: yeah. write
1: this pretty stream of consciousness stuff, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I definitely came from the school of, you know, stream of consciousness and also free verse, you know, so I wasn't trying to write in, you know, iambic pentameter or anything like that, you know, I just, mm-hmm. if the words sounded good, that was good. And I learned how to rhyme more because rhyming does totally work in songs, you know, right. but close rhymes are pretty much just as good if in rock and roll, they might even be better than actual rhymes, you know, so,
2: yeah.
1: We just went with it, and thank goodness, and uh, yeah, upon listening to it, I was like, yeah, I can hear a few clamps, but I mean, it's a live record, and that's what happens. Yeah. I really could understand more how it was a challenge when we first went to record after hearing the live record, right. because live, it's, this moment will be gone. Exactly. You know, so there's kind of a throwaway quality and also an emphatic quality that you don't necessarily want when you're recording because you've got to honor the fact that listeners are going to, you're going to want listeners to listen to this song more than once. So some of the emphatic part needs to be toned down a little bit so that you can build the story and build the dynamic and that thing where live, you're just kind of in the moment, trying to create something in the room. And I think that really exists on this uh, recording. And I think the packaging and everything really helped Um, Frank, uh, Zin Cabbage, the bass player who I started the band with, really. He got very involved in the design of the packaging. Mm -hmm. And then we had Jack Fan. Jack Johnston is Mm -hmm. his actual name, but we always know him as Jack Fan. Uh, He worked on the liner notes. And he was an old friend from very early before I was even in Romeo Boyd. And so I feel like his writing and his memory and just his insights into what was happening when you know, we were happening, you know, it's really valuable for people to understand the context of, you know, how Romeo Boyd even happened.
0: Yeah. 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 So how, how did it happen? How did it start?
1: Well, Frank and I started because we were both being um, employed over the summer okay. by the art school we were both going to. He was in a master's program and I was in an undergraduate program. And I was working in the video performance lab. So I was in the room, you know, checking out the equipment to people that were going to take it out for the weekend or else in the editing lab when people were coming to edit their projects, you know, on video and handing out coaxial cables and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, we had a lot of spare time because we were, you know, we had to be there the whole day to check things in and out and right. supervise, but we weren't that busy. He was more busy than I was. He was installing a big sculpture show um, over the summer, Alice Acock, And so we met at lunch, and we just started talking about what we were interested in. And I was like, well, maybe we should do something. You should bring – he told me he played bass yeah. guitar, and he had a drum machine. I was like, well, you should bring your stuff over to the – video performance room sometime and we'll record something you know we'll put something down on video so the first thing i have of him and i were i was sort of you know incanting um a lyric that i had to a, a video that i was doing action in and he was playing along you know so sort of how it started, and then it really wasn't long before it was like, well, now let's write songs, Right. you know, and I was already in the band, The Mummers and the Poppers, which was like a cover band of stuff okay. sort of along the lines of The Commitments. Remember okay. that movie? Yeah. 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 And, you know, we are just trying to have people have a little more fun. We There had been enough years of everyone just being very detached, you know, leaning against the wall in their black clothes, mm. and it was like, man, we should have fun again. This ska was being you know, more a yeah. uh, big part of the scene in clubs, you know, dancing, you know, being together, maybe, you know, let's do more of that. So being in the Mummers and Poppers, it was um, Charlie Mutant from the Mutants okay. who started the band and got all the musicians together. And he loved like a sense of humor and a little bit of chaos. Mm-hmm. And then the singer that he had, Billy Bastiani, was a film student, had an amazing voice. So he was pretty much the lead singer. And then myself and um, Rachel Weber, who we later became in the units, um, her and I were like the backup singers. Mm-hmm. And we only sang lead on like one or two songs. I right. think we did Boy From New York City and maybe a, one other one. So I was already like, you know, kind of happening in the bands a little bit, knew some musicians then I was like, well, let's, let's see if the drummer and the guitar player from the Mummers and Poppers want to play with sometime, and we can try to make these into more songs that we could go out and play. And so that was the beginning.
0: That's, yeah, that's great. How did the other members come about?
1: So Benjamin happened because, you know, it wasn't too long before we realized, well, we could use a little bit more instrumentation yeah. here. We didn't really want to add a lead guitar, though you know um against it <laughs> right right <laughs> we, who needs more weedle, 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 you know yeah. <laughs> and so um because that was just so you know enforced as far as the sound went in those days and so um when i met benjamin at a sandwich shop the new york deli and he said he played sax i said well maybe you should come to a rehearsal with us you know, and and see how you like playing with us. And there was another sax player we'd played with a few times, but he was more of like a junior Walker type sax player. So um, very different, you know, take and style and intention. And so after we played with Benjamin, it was like, well, he's a better fit with what we're doing. And Benjamin had been playing with another band And so Bobby and Benjamin just sort of switched bands (laughs) and it was a better fit all around Yeah, because Benjamin wanted to be more improvisational and more atonal and sort of poetic and, you know, responsive in the moment, you know, which working with a lead singer like myself, I felt like what he did was take what I was doing and then, you know, amplify it and really kind of refine it emotionally within a musical context so that really elevated us completely to have his input and his sound join our band and at the time of this live recording he'd only been in the group you know 3 weeks or something wow. yeah so however many rehearsals you know maybe we'd rehearse once or twice a week probably usually twice a week so what, he'd been in six rehearsals and then mm. was playing with us, yeah. so.
0: Yeah, and he, he was almost like a second vocalist of the band, the way he For played sure. it, it was, yeah, it was great, especially, you know, Girl in Trouble, boom, starts off with the, his great playing and it's just, it complements your, your, you know, your playing, your voice so well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I have to tell you that live, there were so many moments that were Mm -hmm. just completely special because him and I would be locked in on something. He would be listening to me. And I was of the belief that every night you've got to find a connection within the songs, even though you're doing the same songs, and it might be different each night. So it's kind of your emotional take for the evening could change, you know, and so your phrasing can change or, you know, just the dynamics can change and and that's where it becomes interesting and it's more personal to you and the audience that's there if you right. can do that instead of here's the song i've memorized and now i'm going to sing it the same yeah. way i always do. so he he would love that you know so he would completely mm-hmm. respond and having someone listen to you like that and respond musically was just a thrill yeah. You know, it still astounds me that we had such a great live connection and there were so many special moments, you know, that were right. never captured, yeah. you know, by anybody, but we were all there and we remember. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, what kind of club was Mabuhe?
1: It used to be a like Filipino supper club. Okay. So back in the 50s and 60s, you know, they had you know, probably some Islander singers and things like that. And, um, you know, the decor was definitely, you know, a Filipino vibe. And um, at the time that he started doing punk bands, that was totally dying off on Broadway. And so I think they still had sort of like a dinner and buffet during the day and at night. But I don't think there was much like dinner music going on necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so the punk clan, the bands didn't start till 11 every night, but they had music seven days a week. Mm -hmm. So it was where everybody played and everybody went, and that was the Mm -hmm. first place you'd want to play, you know? And I'm sure that this night that they've recorded, you know, I didn't write down notes for it, so I don't know, but Mm -hmm. we were not headlining, Okay. You know, we were either the middle slot or the opening slot.
0: Yeah. We
1: weren't that well known, you know, around town at this point. Right. That the recording happened. So,
2: okay.
1: I'm not sure who was playing that night, but um, yeah. there was a night when one of my girlfriends, Gabriela Castellan, um, she, I talked her into coming and she'd never been to like a club like that before. She, didn't, she was like really wary of punk rock and, okay. you know, and my mom came that same night. So her and my mom just kind of yeah. stuck together. Right. I I like to think that that was the night that they were both there. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that yeah. gave me the opportunity to want to like focus things toward them a little bit, because I, I feel like I can hear my focus a little bit, you know,
0: Right. What other what other like big name bands like play through there?
1: Well, um the police came through at one point, Lena Levitch came through at one point, Patty Smith dropped by with Lenny Kay. I'm not sure. I think the whole Patty Smith group played there. Right. Um Devo came through in their first tours when they were still playing the movie with Bougie Boy. Okay. And but that was a huge sellout that night yeah and then the local bands you know that um the mutants crime negative trend um let's see the dills the avengers i mean that's who i got inspired by to make my own band was i saw the avengers one night and i was watching penelope and i was like you know i think i can sing as good as her yeah you know i was like (laughs) I think I can. Right. And I have something to say, because I could really tell she had something to say. And um, when I started going to the Art Institute, I was kind of excited because she had a locker in the hall, and she had already left the year before. But all the lyrics to We Are the One, which, you know, was like a big mm. 45 at the time, right. she had written on her locker. Mm. So I'd pass by it every day, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, I was a huge fan of like Patty Smith and Susie and the Banshees and mm-hmm. um X-ray Spec, you know, with Polystyrene. So I I love those bands. And then during the time of Romeo Boyd, we played with Pylon a number of times. I loved mm-hmm. Pylon.
2: Right.
1: You know, we got to play with them once at the Peppermint Lounge. And it's <laughs> real exciting. Mm-hmm.
0: When the band took off, were you still like enrolled in art school? Were you still going?
1: Well, actually, what's interesting is we left for tour right after I graduated. Oh, okay. So it was kind of timed okay. okay. Yeah. You know? The record, I think, had already come out, but then yeah. we started the tour, I think, within days of my graduation. So oh, I was determined okay. to graduate. Right. You know, plus my mom had to come to graduation.
0: Of course. Know, so. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and I I I think Gra- Frank must have graduated with his MFA then too, okay. because that was why he was at the Art Institute was to get his masters. And I, I got a BFA, so
0: okay. Yeah. 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 Well during like during the live recording, were you guys already signed to 415? No. Not yet.
1: No. In fact, the very first time um Howie we, Klein we from Four One Five Records contacted us. Um, he called me. I mean, I probably gave him my number. I saw him around at clubs all the time,
2: right?
1: And um, you know, said he wanted to record a single. Well, when I brought that up with Frank from you know Romeo Void, who I started the band with, um, Frank was like, "I think we should tell him we want to hold out for an album," mm. because really, do we just want to do a forty-five? you know, and just like not have them really invest in us, right. you know, and not really get that much out because what one song is going to really, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, totally. He
1: he, he convinced me that I should turn him down <laughs> and tell him, you know, uh, keep coming to see us and let's talk in, you know, when it's time, when it's a better time, when we have more songs and we're ready to do an album. So um, perhaps he'd already been to a show. I know one of the first times he took us really seriously was he came at a sound check at uh, the Mabuhay with Lester Bangs. And Lester Bangs told him, You've got to sign these guys.
2: Okay.
1: So how I was like, Oh, I do. And he's like, Yeah, this is really unique. They've got something different, you know, you should grab them. So. Right. I don't know if that was, you know, Howie'd have to, you'd have to talk yeah. to him, but I don't right. know if that was when Howie decided to call me about doing a single or what, but I know that that happened. Mm. And to us, we were like, why is Howie here with this, like, really drunk guy? Because <laughs> <laughs> Lester Bank could really, you know, um, really drink, and uh, it right. was like, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, and he was wasted, so... Right. <laughs> You kind of don't forget people like
0: that. No, totally not. (laughs) It's
1: kind of like when you're, one time our booking agent showed up in Chicago. We were doing a show with the Bush Tetris, who I loved, and I kind of idolized, even though we were, quote, unquote, maybe a little more successful for them. To me, I was like in awe of them.
2: Right.
1: Um, And our booking agent came to the show, and he was wasted on quaaludes. Oh, geez. And he was in our dressing room and I was so embarrassed. I went to our road manager finally and said, you've got to get this guy out of our dressing room. He can't be like representing us at this gig, you know, he squished it. (laughs) So,
0: yeah. So how many like other like good road stories do you have that you can share?
1: (laughs) Well, that's, that's a, I guess that's a pretty good one. Oh, I can tell you one funny thing that happened. Um, I got to go to the MTV Awards Okay. when um, Madonna did Like a Virgin. Right. And Herbie Hancock um, won for Rocket.
0: Yeah, everybody was great.
1: Yeah. And I was with his group because we were from the Bay Area. And um, so I got to ride in the limo with Herbie Hancock. I didn't right. really know him, but I knew of him. And we were Bay Area musicians. Yeah. So we went together and I got a backstage pass and all that. And um, I got to meet Dan Aykroyd. Oh, cool. And he's like a big imposing guy. I don't know if he's oh. like 6'4 or something, right. but he's very tall and and everything. And he was like, oh, I'm a fan, you know. And he's just like, you know, really excited excited. Yeah. It was really fun to meet him, and I was like, "Oh, great, Dan Aykroyd! Wow, <laughs> you know." And um, so then, you know, I'm I'm sort of walking around backstage, and and the next person I come upon is Daryl Hall. Okay. And I'm like, "Oh, you know, I want to say yeah. hi to him." You know, so I kind of go over to him, and uh, he goes, "I'm somewhat of a fan of yours."
0: Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and i'm like okay well that's fine and yeah. i got to tell him how much i loved his voice and all that right but i remember just thinking okay well yeah. uh, i know that's like a compliment
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but you don't want to really commit to it you know yeah exactly <laughs> it, right. it's it reminds me of like guys who might want to date me but then they don't want to be seen with a fat girl in public kind of thing you know <laughs> Right. so
0: he's somewhat of a fan somewhat of a fan yeah 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 now like do you feel like you were kind of ahead, of ahead of the times because of like the way you looked now it's totally acceptable to have like Lizzo and like Adele and these amazing artists you had an amazing voice I'm sure you still do but do you do you feel like if the band was out now you guys would have been more successful
1: um, maybe, but I mean, I think it's still really, really tough because I follow Alice Bag on Instagram. Okay. She is, you know, very outspoken and like, you know, believes in everybody and, you know, don't put us down for being weird. That's what makes us special. You know, her right. message is very much that direction. Yeah. My color, my looks don't, you know, define me, that sort of thing. And um, somebody wrote to her. Just, you know, like a month ago, my local club won't book us because I'm plus-sized. And I thought, same as it ever was, honey. You know, so maybe in pockets. And once you achieve a certain amount of success, then you could be acceptable. But as far as, like, breaking in and honestly just convincing the booking people or, like, I remember having to, like, get a little bit dressed up and put on the... You know, rock star look a little bit yeah. before I went into sound check, so I could get respect from the bartenders before we played in these clubs. Because if I just came in straight from the from the van, you right. know, it'd be like, who are you? What are you doing in here? Yeah. You know, say we'ren't expecting them, you know.
0: Right. I mean, but like, if I put on the drag
1: yeah. of Deborah I L then. Yeah. Suddenly, it's like, yeah, you'll give me, you know, a club soda. <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> take on stage with me for sound check. Otherwise, <laughs> you're going to tell me to get lost.
0: Right, it's yeah. yeah, it's it's such bullshit. Because who cares whether you're? Well, yeah,
1: you're, and that, the audience doesn't boy, care.
0: They don't care. They, they're here they're just to hear, watch you sing, and you know, rock on stage and your amazing band. Who cares? You know, it's just, it's
1: about how you make people feel. Right. And that's why people like certain singers is because yeah. they're able to share their emotions in a way that the audience can feel it too. Right. You know, and, and that's from being real when you're singing. Yeah. You know, and the audience always loved us, you know, and I'm sure it's same as it ever was with uh, Mama Cass or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, any Bessie Smith or whatever. You yeah. just,
2: Aretha, you know,
1: you straighten your backbone and give a performance and suddenly everyone's like, wow, that's right. amazing. But does it take, how do you get there? Sometimes maybe that can be a lot harder climb.
2: Yeah.
1: But then maybe you have more to say. Like I was one of those people who always believed that, you know, pretty people um, kind of got off easy in life. Right. Because. They never had to develop anything, any interests or, you know, really be fascinating because people were just willing to have, oh, you're the pretty person. So we like you, right. but, you know, uh, how does that really, how is that compelling in an artistic way? It's not. Yeah. So I think really when you come at it from an art point of view, you know, have something to say. And then get it across. And yeah, that's where the respect and eventually the loyalty, the fan loyalty comes yeah. from that. Right. It doesn't come. I mean, if it comes from, you know, shape of your body, well, your body's going to change, you know, yeah. your cute little face. Well, it faces age, you yeah. know, things like that, you know. So I guess I always felt like, you know, it might be easier, but in the end, I'm I'm here for the long haul. You right. Know?
0: You're you're who you are, and that shouldn't you know change. And, and
1: that's my secret weapon. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: absolutely. it should, it, it should be I have
1: self-esteem. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's amazing how that can get you through things. Right. Even if you're faking it, if you're white knuckling it, you know. Yeah. Take it till you make it, kind of confidence. Yeah. Still, it reads as confidence
0: right yeah but i mean even like being on stage you have to kind of fake it sometimes too whether or not you're in a great mood a bad mood whether or not someone is say drunk or hungover not saying you are but just any any artist you know has to kind of power through performance so they kind of also have to you know put on a mask and kind of you know fake it sometimes
1: yeah i think a little bit but on the other hand i don't know about other performers but kind of when that light hits your face you know what to do right and so you do become present you know yeah. you pull it up right because that might be the coolest thing that happens in the next 48 hours is this hour on stage yeah and all the arrests might be boring drudgery um, humiliation you know awkwardness and comfortableness you know riding in a van with five guys right. overnight from yeah. you know uh Houston to New Orleans you know right. that might be what you're facing yeah <laughs> for now this is it this is what you live for so yeah. right i mean i'm sure i i i pulled up a lot from inside just from once the band starts and the lights hit and the sounds on yeah i can do yeah. this right I know what this is yeah. other things i'm not in control of but this i will be
0: right there's only, only so much you can control
1: yeah for sure yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> right and the video to never, never say never i think that came out before mtv was even around right
1: no mtv was around
0: Oh, was there, okay
1: yeah, because all of a sudden, I mean, we were one of the first videos they played okay. was never say never. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it was an amazing beauty. and that was
1: kind of exciting because we were on tour and none of us had it at home. Right. We didn't it wasn't really common to have cable. Yeah. You know, um in those days. You had the three channels and then the movie channel and the local channel and yeah. you know, five Channels might be all you have in your town, even San Francisco. I think, I think there were six because there was a PBS channel. Right. Oh, and then Spanish language channel, there's seven TV stations on TV, and hardly anyone had cable, but MTV was on cable. So, you know, we first time we stayed in a motel that had cable. You know, we were, like, watching MTV and right. got to see Bow Wow Wow and mm-hmm. Video mm-hmm. Killed the Radio Star. That, that was, was one lovely. of the earliest yeah. songs on on uh, MTV. Yeah, I think it was the first
0: and,
1: one. Yeah. And then um, we got to see Romeo Void on MTV. And then the audience started knowing our songs, the lyrics, and even more than just from the radio. Right. So,
0: yeah. So I know Rick Ocasek produced "Never Say Never" uh, from the Cars. Mm -hmm. Great, Rick Ocasek. How did that come about?
1: Well, he had heard us because one of his roadies played um, It's a Condition, the album, okay. right. on his tour bus. And he was he thought that was interesting. And um, when I first heard he was interested, I was kind of like, what? Yeah. Because Rico Kasich was, you know, super commercial, super successful. You know, the cars, right. you know, a huge band. And maybe they were kind of new wave, you know. But they weren't, you know, uh, I didn't think that that was a natural fit that he would want to work with Romeo Voigt. But then when I found out, oh, he he produced Suicide, Alan okay. Vega. I was right. like, oh, well, I can see this totally could work. Right. You know? And yeah. once we met him and everything, too, he's just very gracious kind of quiet spoken person but he just wanted to give us freedom and he wanted to give us time right you know he knew how expensive studio time was and attention and he had a great engineer that he wanted to share it was Roy Thomas Baker's engineer Ian Taylor okay you know so the engineering was phenomenal on those recordings
0: yeah how much fun was the video to make
1: it was good because it was the actual filmmaker okay. and it was somebody that Sandy Perlman, who was managing us, he'd worked right. with the Blue Oyster Cult. You know, um, it was somebody that he knew. So it was like a friend of his okay. who was a filmmaker and he filmed it in film, black and white. And he had this whole guitar, Godard reference from the mm-hmm. movie Breathless in his mind, you know, for some of these mm-hmm. scenes And we just went with it and it was like, you know, performing for the camera, it's kind of amazing, you know, when they tell you just, you know, be yourself and, you know, put the energy through the lens, you know, so I'd already heard that in recording, you know, your voice has to like penetrate the microphone. Right. So then it was like, oh, now I get to learn how to penetrate a camera, you know, yeah. with my presence and stuff. So right. You know, the whole experience really helped me out because I just really had fun with it and I, I came across it better than I thought I would. Okay. You know, so that's always nice where it's like, oh, this oh, this looks better than I thought. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. What was your reaction the first time you saw it, like being played on MTV?
1: Oh, I. I was very excited, yeah. but also it's kind of like you're on you're on the the teetering edge. You know, part of you is like shocked, yeah. but super excited. Right. You know, so it's like part of you just wants to go. Oh, I don't believe it! I don't believe it! I don't believe it! And the yeah. other part is just listening, watching so carefully. Yeah, yeah.
0: right. And like, why did that song? Like, it's I don't think it even like charted and it's such a recognizable song by you guys like what 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 happened it
1: was on the dance clip okay so uh, on the like there um back in the day i'm trying to remember what the list was it was like rock dj's there was an organization in san francisco just can't something the association of rock mm-hmm. dj's Anyway, they were playing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, so in the clubs, yeah. it was huge. Right. And then on college radio, it did great. So and then a few stations like AROQ in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, WBCN out of Boston, um, that I forget what the call letters are, but the radio station out of Long Island.
0: Oh, L-I-R.
1: Yeah, they were playing us. Yeah, you know, so you know, these really cool stations were having it.
0: You know, they wanted it. So yeah, Uh, it's yeah, fantastic song, and it's kind of you know lived on now. Whether it's video games or TV shows, it's it's has definitely has an ongoing legacy, as well as yeah, uh,
2: it's true. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you know, you can play a video game and you know driving a car, and all of a sudden you hear never, never say never. So it's it's fantastic.
1: yeah grand theft auto yeah
0: yeah absolutely. yeah
1: um actually uh, benjamin bossy's uh nephew called him real excited when he was playing the game once right. and he held the phone up to the speaker of his computer and he says dude that's you you know
0: <laughs> yeah right yeah now um I had a have had a lot of artists as well as the host of the show, bands reunited on on here, and um, yeah, yours your story, you know, the bands was was great. I mean, not a lot of drama portrayed on the show. I don't know how it was in in, in the in, you know in the band in real life, but how authentic was the, that show for the bands?
1: Um, pretty authentic, yeah. yeah. Because we hadn't all seen each other in a long time. We hadn't played together. Um, We were approached separately.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, they kind of tricked us a little bit.
0: Of course, yeah.
1: Um, I thought I was meeting with a producer over lunch to talk about them doing something in the future. Okay. About, focused on Romeo Boyd. It wasn't, oh, we're going to record this special. And we're, you know, they didn't pre... They didn't introduce the topic until it was right in front of my face of us playing together, of reuniting. So that was all a big surprise. And actually, the producer was late to lunch. Mm -hmm. So I remember leaving the restaurant where I was at and just telling them where to find me if these people ever show up, you know, because this was before people had cell phones. Right, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it was 2004. I think I actually got a cell phone. In 2001, because I moved to the desert, and it could be 114 degrees outside. And if you're out in your car, you better have a phone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when
1: it's that hot, the dangerous things can happen if you break down
0: without one.
1: And it was the same way you carry extra shoes and a hat and uh, water in your trunk when you live in the desert, you know, in be life or death. So I remember getting a phone reluctantly once I moved to the desert. But, uh, you know, it wasn't common to have them. So, yeah. I just went over to the studio where I had a studio, and uh, they showed up, and whoa, yeah,
0: yeah. Like when they when Benjamin announced that he can't play anymore due to I think it was tinnitus he had. Did, was that the first time you knew about that?
1: Well, no, okay. I knew that he'd been having a lot of troubles and had quit performing. Right. Um much playing sax. And he had been doing these acoustic guitar and vocalizing kind of performance things. And he'd been taking theater classes and, you know, stuff like that. But to have him be there and show up and then not be able to play. Yeah, that was, you know, shocking and just like reality check. Right. For everybody, for him included. And he handled it so graciously. You know, he passed recently. Yeah, I know. So all of this is kind of raw for me, but um, what a great guy, you know. He yeah. still wanted to be there.
0: Right, which is great. He still yeah. showed
1: up in the suit.
0: The suit, yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> I mean, what spirit, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And um, so when, when we found that out about that we were going to be reuniting i had a sax player that i knew in the bay area but okay. i called like emergency emergency can you right. fly down to la like in a day yeah. so we can start rehearsing because we only had like another i think it was i don't remember but let's say they found us on friday i showed up in la on saturday and then it was either Monday or Tuesday that we had the performance. There right. was no, no time. Yeah, yeah. Pass between all these events happening very quickly and around.
0: Yeah. Did you? I know everyone. And I
1: couldn't to- get anyone yeah. to take care of my dog. Oh wow! <laughs> you guys have to get me a hotel that'll take a dog. Because oh, right,
0: exactly. Dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, I, imagine that. That was the holdup. You know, didn't abandon reunite because your dog. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but we got to stay, like, right off Rodeo Drive at this oh, really man. nice hotel, and yeah. one of the guys who, uh, you know, gets your car, one of the bellhops, you know, took her on walks, and he was very unfamiliar with dogs,
2: Okay, and
1: um, so I had to explain the whole thing, like, you have to take a bag because you've got to pick up their poop, and yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, my God, what am yeah. I having to do? Exactly. But I'm like, but I'm going to tip you every time you take her, because... Yeah. <laughs> we're Going to be recording and you're going to have to take a while I'm gone,
2: right? Yeah, yeah,
1: they were really nice about it. And he says, What does it mean when their tail goes like this? And I go, Oh, that means they're happy. And he goes, Oh, she's a very happy dog. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, he really didn't know dogs, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Was there ever talk you guys kind of staying reunited or no? I know because everyone had their own lives at that point.
1: Well,
0: or was it hard? Sort
1: of. Probably about maybe six months or a year later. Um, Frank and I kind of had reconciled too, because him and I had a real, you know, kind of falling out. Right. We just weren't seeing eye to eye, and after yeah. us founding the band together, and then us having conflicts, and you know, just like not really wanting to be around each other. Then once we sort of spoke and, you know, broke the ice again and, you know, each took some responsibility for the, you know, downfall of our relationship. Then once that was passed, it was like, well, maybe we should write some songs. So once Frank and I were sort of like playing around writing songs, it was like, well, let's see if we can get Peter over here because Peter had already moved to Japan. Right. So Peter's lived in Japan for a really long time. So You know, we got Peter over and Aaron and, you know, uh, got a different sax player at that point and uh, did some recording. Frank talked to somebody at a recording studio up in Petaluma that gave us some spec time, you know, because we didn't really have a budget. We weren't given a budget by the record label. I know we did approach them to try to fund a demo and they weren't interested
0: really well, yeah that's unfortunate
1: yeah, yeah. and there's some really good songs actually too
0: I'm sure you ever think about like just releasing that like independently now
1: i don't know i yeah. mean you know um yeah i don't know i'm sure frank's got the tape somewhere and but you know you know, now is now, you know, yeah. and like I, I have a life now and he right. has a life now. He ha- he actually moved out to New Mexico. I live in New Mexico now. Uh, he moved out here about three or four years ago and I just moved out here a year ago mm-hmm. and we live about two and a half hours away from each other. Okay. So, you know, we're on friendly terms and, you know, I That's see good. him, but, you know, he, he does his own thing. He, you should check him out though on, uh, Romeovoid.com, you can go to a link to his own music page and he writes some really great songs. Oh you know, course. so he's got a home studio and he makes songs and yeah, but he knows about my cover band and he's never said, Oh, I'd love to play with you. And I've thrown it out that, you know, we don't have a bass player. Right. <laughs> he's not biting.
0: Oh, no, of course not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't blame him. He can't really come to rehearsal if it's two and a half hours away. Yeah. You know what Long I mean?
0: Commute. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. And that was then, and this is now, you know, kind of thing. So
0: yeah, yeah. Do you plan to any like release any of like the music from the? Raton I hope 3? so. I actually yeah. do.
1: It's kind of my goal now that next year for um, uh, record store day right. that we get something out. Okay. Yeah. So when I started doing this, the publicist when he found out I was doing the Ritone Three, he said. Well, you should mention that in every interview because, you know, somebody might be interested in putting it out, yeah. you know, and kind of the whole thing is if, if that's your intention, put it out there because then it might be able to happen. So. Absolutely. But like yeah. I said, yeah. our first show is going to be on the, at the end of this month on the 28th. So, you know, let's play it by ear. Yeah. <laughs> but wouldn't that be fun for us to talk again in a year from now?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would I'd love to hear, you yeah. know. Oh, be great.
1: Um, This is off-topic. I'm going to put my email in the chat. Okay. And then you can email me if you want me to send you a few of our songs. Oh, yeah. We have an extremely eclectic set list, like literally from Johnny Cash to Nirvana. Okay. But it's all from pre 2000. Right. So, and it's songs we like. So I've learned a song like my husband loved of the Jayhawks that I'd never heard before.
2: Right. And
1: then we're doing songs that I grew up listening to. Johnny Rivers, Poor Side of Town, you know, and then we're doing Fade Into You. Okay. You know, um, you know so we're just kind of picking and choosing. Yeah. One of my favorites that we do is uh, Blood and Roses.
0: Oh, Smitherines, yeah
1: yeah you know i really you know totally grown to love the smithereens since oh
0: yeah
1: i started in that cover band
0: Okay. yeah so. yeah yeah i i had a jim babcheck on last year from the band
1: oh wonderful
0: Yeah, yeah yeah they're, they're fantastic
1: <laughs> totally totally
0: yeah cool okay i got it great
1: <laughs> okay yeah so you can email me and yeah. Uh, you know, you can either, I'll, I'll probably just send you some of the songs that at the moment are the ones that I like the most. Oh, definitely. We're doing a yeah. Smith song, Dancing Barefoot. OK. Um, uh, Love and Spoonful. Didn't want to have to do it. OK. Yeah. You know, we're all over the place.
0: Right. No, that, that's good. That's good.
1: And we're yeah. still like writing down songs we want to learn. Our songs of yeah. what we want to learn is growing. Right. You know, now we have songs we have learned, which is yeah. quite big. Uh. You know, and then there's still ones we're going to be working on, and we're going to learn Christine from Susie and the Banshees. Okay. Um, we're going to learn "I'm Going Down" by Bruce Springsteen. Bruce
0: okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
1: Because you know, we're actually we've agreed to play a friend of ours. um welcoming wedding party so she's from philadelphia but she lives here and so when she's getting married in september most of her friends are becoming from philadelphia so they're having a welcoming party because there's a lot of people coming from out of town okay and so we've agreed to play that party it's going to be in a restaurant that has you know Mm -hmm. little Bar downstairs with a right. dance floor and stuff like that. So
0: oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, anyway, I was, her well.
1: husband to be her fiance, you know, really likes Bruce Springsteen. So, okay. first thing that came to my mind was, I'm going down, 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 down.
0: down. down, down. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, we're going to learn some of that. Oh, and that's... B52. She loves B52. Okay. So we're going to learn at least one of their songs, if not more. So,
0: yeah. Well, you can't go wrong with any of those artists. So,
1: exactly there's so many good songs yeah that's why being a singer is kind of wonderful you know
0: right if i can
1: (laughs) learn it and if it is at all in my key or we can transpose it so i can sing it you know i've really found a lot of success with that tom petty songs
0: okay which one you
1: got lucky breakdown yeah yeah so yeah there's
0: plenty of plenty of good ones to choose from with him too so
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
0: yeah yeah absolutely Do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio?
1: Yes. Um, The band was together in the van and we were driving, I think we had been um, at K-Rock and doing an interview and we were driving out to Riverside to play a gig with the Tubes. Okay. And I'm Just a Girl came on and then never say, never came on right afterwards. Okay. And it was like, we cranked it up, you know, yeah. all of us were in the van together and we were just like, woo, you know, right. I mean, that's the first time I really remember. Maybe I heard it other times.
0: Right. Yeah. What about like, the most interesting, not...
1: go ahead. What about
0: what like, the most interesting place? Like you're out wherever shopping. Okay. This is boxes.
1: it. And I wrote about this actually. Okay. <laughs> um, So I like to write things down. Yeah. Um, I was getting ready to start school. I was in my first week of school up in Portland, Mm -hmm. Oregon to become a teacher. I'd gone back to school at age 52. Oh, okay. And I'd gotten up in the morning. I went to get to school early, walked my dog, was leaving for school, and I had a downhill driveway. And, you know, of course, you flip on the radio first thing when you're getting ready Mm -hmm. to pull into traffic. I flipped on the radio to pull into traffic, and as I'm sliding out from my driveway, Never Say Never started,
0: oh. <laughs>
1: and I was just like, "This is an omen. This yeah. is going to be great. I I'm everywhere, you right. know." And it was just like, "I own this town now, yeah. you know."
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: This will be a success. Me becoming a teacher, credentialed, getting a master's degree. This is all going to be a success because. That song was playing when I left for school that morning. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't believe we went like over an hour without talking about A Girl in Trouble. I'll just ask you one question about that. Um, do you still have the jacket that you wore in the video, as well as the American Bandstand? No, in? no. Um, actually,
1: unfortunately, there was a leak in a closet in San Francisco. And my first wedding dress and that jacket were in that closet, destroyed by mold. Uh, because we didn't discover the leak in time until the closet started smelling. Uh. And then once we started going through, we were like, oh my God, all this stuff is damp and molding. So, yeah.
0: Oh, that sucks.
1: <laughs> that was lost to the mold. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Do you find like that song as great as it is? Is it kind of a different sounding song compared oh, to sure, you? Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure.
1: It was definitely like a... You know, we were kind of, well, I think it was partly the producer, David Kahn. You know, he was not in on the success of Never Say Never. He had nothing to do with it. Right. And I think that always, like, kind of drove him a little bit crazy.
0: <laughs> right. You
1: know, because he had recorded our first album. Yeah. So when he convinced Columbia to let him produce Instincts, then I think he was like, I'm going to, they are going to have a hit you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he really was, once he heard sort of the gist of a girl in trouble, he was convinced, you know, we did all a lot of work toward it, having, you know, that, you know, really quite a commercial sound and the keyboard yeah. parts and all the things that were not necessarily Romeo Voidish. Yeah. You know, were allowed to happen because yeah. why not? We'd written this great song and it, and it could possibly be a hit. And, yeah. Yeah, it did chart, and there you go. Right.
0: And you guys were totally cool with that?
1: Yeah, I think there were some mixed feelings, you know, because the producer actually um, made a decision, a choice to get Randy Jackson to play bass on it.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Well, you know, Frank was one of the main songwriters of the band. So, I mean, I allowed it to happen, the other band members allowed it to happen, but you know, in the hindsight, it's you know, that might not have been the best thing, and yet, on the other hand, you know, yeah, Andy Jackson is the best, you know, or at right yes. the time, he was right. the best, you know, yeah. and if you're working in service of the song and the song being the recording of the song, not just you and your band members writing it, then you let those things happen and it's kind of like well let's see what happens you know yeah so i would say that's bittersweet about it for sure
0: right did frank kind of did he ever get over the fact that he wasn't yeah yeah
1: Yeah. oh yeah but i mean ouch yeah you know
0: yeah i mean I, i guess getting royalties for it is more important right
1: yeah, probably in the yeah. long run. I mean, he—I mean, the time that he had to accept it was way back then. You know. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm sure it's not costing him any.
0: No. Now, exactly. <laughs>
1: Nights. Now it's like yeah, whatever. of course not. Yeah. You know.
0: Of course not. It's kind of yeah. like
1: when you also when you um, change drummers you know there comes a time where there needs to be a change well what leads up to that change and of course the friendships that are happening are Mm -hmm. never going to be the same right once you let a drummer go yeah you know it's kind of a big deal so
0: yeah but yeah you do
1: you know so
0: yeah absolutely but, Deborah, I really appreciate your time today. This was fantastic. Um, everyone check out uh, Live from Mubei Gardens. It's out everywhere now. It's a fantastic album, as well as all their other songs. Deborah's solo album, which I really enjoy, too. that's on the streaming sites as well. And uh, next year, hopefully, we'll have this conversation about the Raton 3.
1: Wouldn't that be fun?
0: Yeah, it'd be awesome. I'm forward
1: to talking to you again, then.
0: And a special thanks to Deborah for joining me today. Go check out Live from the Gardens, November 14th, 1980. It's on the streaming sites. And we'll look forward to any uh, music that the Raton 3 release. And if you have a suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at the one 9 Or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, basically, wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes out every week ish. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.